0: Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. On the show today, we're going to talk about the importance of core values, not only for ourselves as leaders, but applying them in a meaningful way to our workplaces as well. I was fortunate to work at the premier law enforcement agency in the world, an organization that has a very clear mission statement, to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States. The FBI and its workforce are taught its core values on day one, which include respect, integrity, accountability, leadership, diversity, compassion, fairness, and a rigorous obedience to the Constitution. They are baked into our culture, At the FBI Academy, those core values were peppered throughout the halls, not only in words, but the curriculum was steeped with those values. How we were expected to conduct ourselves and interact with others. How we were expected to serve and protect the American people. Core values define who we are as individuals and as an organization. It's what defines us and it's where we spend our time, our energy, and our resources. These values don't come and go. They are a lifelong practice, and in the FBI, they were passed along from generation to generation. Our behavior is guided by them, and our actions are based on them. Today, we are fortunate to have Megan Ragsdale, Chief Operating Officer of the Soapy Joe's Car Wash franchise, to share how creating a mission statement and basing the leadership of an organization on core values that permeates throughout the workforce has led to tremendous success. Megan is also an executive coach, an innovation culture and growth strategist, and a certified search inside yourself mindfulness teacher, which I guarantee you will be doing by the end of this episode. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gina. Great to be here. Megan, you know what it's like to be the only woman in the room because you lead a business that has 14 car washes affiliated with it. Can
1: you tell me how you got into that type of business? Absolutely. I think I'd been preparing for that since college. I've had kind of a long history of being the only woman in the room. I was a a roadie on the technical crew in college alongside Rolling Stones roadies who didn't want to climb up light trellises. So I did that. And then I worked on an all-male film crew and went into all kinds of factories and chicken plants and all kinds of weird places And then wound up working in nuclear energy with all men, a a lot of technology companies with a lot of engineering groups that were all male. And then I led my career into my own coaching and consulting business, which brought me into a client here in San Diego called Soapy Joes. And I was initially brought in as a coach and to do some culture strategy and consulting work. And I just really fell in love with the business. The CEO is a really dynamic entrepreneur. And I just loved all of the upside and opportunity in our industry, which is just kind of on the cusp of taking advantage of a lot of the technological advances that other industries are really accustomed to. So I feel like I'd been working my whole life to come up to this moment right here. What I love about what you're doing as a leader in this company
0: and in this industry is that you've established core values and you're leading and making business decisions based on those values. That was a
1: really big part of building our team and our philosophy at Soapy Joe's. I've worked with so many companies going through the mission, vision, values process. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they just become words on a paper that are never revisited after that very first time. And in our case at Soapy Joe's, we got our our newly formed leadership into a room and really looked at what were each of our individual core values, what were the values of our CEO and founders, what was important to our team members, and we really started to look at what we wanted to deliver as a membership experience and what would be important in that value set. And so a couple of our values, for example, are building community. It's really important to us to meaningfully join the communities that we serve. And we go so far beyond that as a car wash. As a matter of fact, we're in our 10 year anniversary year and we are just hitting 100,000 free washes given to the community. So we really work hard at doing this during COVID. I was very proud of how we served our communities when they needed it most. We gave away $10,000 to local businesses that had nothing to do with car wash to local restaurants, to the Rady Children's Hospital. We really just wanted to give back to the community in a time of need. And I think all of those actions really stem from our core value of leading with heart. So at Soapy Joe's, we want to grow a leadership pipeline, not just be a car wash. We're so much more than that. And leading with heart for us means giving and engendering trust and really making sure that you are walking the walk when it comes to the values that we expect out of our team.
0: Having community as a core value is great because when you serve your community, you become part of the community.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what differentiates us. I mean, most times when you ask people, where do you get your car washed, they'll give you the cross streets of where they wash their cars. And we didn't want to be that. We wanted to be the in and out and Chick-fil-A of car washing. And we've done a lot of work to make sure that we built that strong brand and brand equity with our members. We've got a huge cult following because we really do love our members. And we use that word love intentionally in our business and leading with heart. And we love our members so much that we do all kinds of crazy things to connect with them, including marrying people at our car wash last year, which we've won all kinds of advertising awards for. And then this year we did proposals and it was just such a bright spot to be able to offer the community in a time where people were really struggling.
0: I love that. And being a veteran myself, I know that uh, you're doing a lot
1: of great things with the veterans in your community. We are, I'm so proud of that as well. We are in San Diego, which is a huge Navy town, huge Marine Corps town. My husband's a veteran. 25% 25% of our operations team are veterans, and we're really proud of that. And we, we work very closely with local charities and communities on Veterans Day. We give away free washes to veterans, and we also work with the Support the Enlisted Project, which really helps families of active duty and veteran communities who have kind of fallen on hard times and so that is something that is really at the core of leading with heart and serving our community and our head of operations is a retired lieutenant colonel aviator in the marine corps and talk about finding a really wonderful leader to demonstrate what leading with heart looks like to a huge group of individuals who sophie joe's is kind of their first job and their first responsibility as a leader and that has just been terrific for us to be able to provide that kind of season leadership to our teams. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing for our veterans
0: and for your community. When it comes to core values, So often, like you said, there's not really a connection between what the core values are for the company and what comes out of the company with relation to the core values. So can you tell me your philosophy on why core values for a company is so
1: important? The way I like to talk about values in our company so that it's really easy for people to understand is that values are the behaviors. They're the things that you do when no one is looking. And so what we do to really draw that thread all the way through is we tie every single reward and recognition program, our promotions, we scrutinize ourselves heavily on our employee satisfaction scores. We really work hard not only to lead by role modeling that, but also we have a recognition program, for example, called Magic Moments where the entire thing is literally focused on either peers or leaders recognizing each other in action for doing great things that are linked back to the values. And it's really taken off online. We've got all kinds of mechanisms that we can do this via physical card that we fill out. We've got an online platform, which is a lot more natural for some of our folks who are more millennial based and digital natives. So they can just go crazy recognizing each other on this platform and it's really turned into this very cult-like thing. We also have something called the Soapy Cup where we bring it to the site that has just hit all of their performance metrics and demonstrates our values and is being recognized by our members. And that also is something that people fight really hard to get. So I think we we not only do it, it by focusing on making sure that we catch people doing something right, Much more often than we're trying to focus on developmental areas, but also just in the way that we communicate with each other, in the way that we communicate as a leadership team, when we make decisions about the growth of the company, we really ask ourselves if these decisions are truly aligned with our values. And I think that helps us to stay in our lane and to continue to be great at what we do.
0: What do you think your business would look like if you didn't have that mission statement leading from the heart, if you didn't insert your core values into what you do every day with your business?
1: You know, I think in our business, it can be a little bit difficult because I think a lot of people were focused not on values and not on membership experience and really just focused on the mechanics of running a car wash, which would mean, like you still see in a lot of places... You don't get a great customer experience. You don't see people who actually want to be there serving members and making sure you're solving problems. And we would see a lot of attrition and inability to attract really great leaders. Every time we speak to people who come into the company, and I just got to do this yesterday with our manager in training recruits who basically we recruit from the local market to come be leaders, but after they go through a custom training program and every single one of them just told me yesterday, it was the company values that drew them to our company because we're competing against other retailers that are in different environments that are a little bit more comfortable. In our environment, you're out in the elements. It can be hot, it could be rainy. You're dealing with equipment, which can sometimes be intimidating. So when people join us, we know they really want to be there. And we know that because we have some challenges that maybe some of our other retailers don't have, we've really got to double down on what that employee experience feels like. And that all comes through demonstration of our values in action.
0: You know, and I'm a big believer in that when people feel like they've got ownership in the business or a program or a project, their morale goes up and they want to be more productive and they want to come to work every day. So what is your morale and productivity based on your core values with this whole system? I mean, how have you seen your morale and your productivity? Well, what's
1: great is that we are very good at making sure that we not only do our employee satisfaction score every year, just to make sure that we're hitting on all the right notes that our employees are asking us to do. So things that are really important to our people are that they get training, that they're invested in, you know, people leave their managers, not their actual jobs. So we work really hard to make sure that people who we install in people leadership positions really derive energy out of bringing out the greatness in others. So we can see that playing out and how much promotion from within we're able to do in our company because we have managers who are just great at building teams and building community in the subcultures of their sites and thereby producing folks who are getting promoted and moving into higher and higher levels of leadership. So we're seeing it there for sure. And then we're also seeing it in our numbers, Gina. What we're known for in our industry is how much volume we do at our car washes which are really significant and they are much different than those even in our same community. And so when we look at our numbers and we look at how many members continue to choose us month after month, year over year, we are absolutely seeing that direct benefit and we're seeing it in the growth. We are double digit growing year over year. And that is a really hard thing for people in the membership kind of business to be able to do repeatedly. And we're able to do that only because our teams are really that committed.
0: That's terrific. So you start with the core values. So as the leader of all of this and being a woman, not that it matters, but (laughs) what are your leadership skills? What experiences have you had that brings you
1: to this is your philosophy on leadership? That's a great question, Gina. I would really say that it started in the home for me. I came from parents who were wonderful. I have two sisters and both of my parents worked. And my mother not only worked and also was able to do a lot of the providing and cooking and supporting us at home because my father had a job that, that had him traveling quite a bit in sales, but my mother decided to go back to school when she was in her 40s. And watching her go through that and see her have a complete second act that was incredibly rich, she got into mergers and acquisitions. She was really talk about in a, a male dominated field. She went into funeral directing of all things. Wow. And, and that was a really great example for me to, to see. So I would say that for me, a lot of what we were brought up with is my dad always told us, listen, don't pack more than you can carry. Make sure you can take care of yourself. Don't rely on anybody else to you know, do things for you. You've got to work really hard. You've got to work really focused and you can't be afraid to take risks. And I think for me having the superwoman mother who started a second career in her 40s and just was really able to not do it all you know without there being trade-offs but to see somebody that close as a role model in my own family who is extremely capable and extremely successful was great for me as a role model because I grew up thinking that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And so what I focused on as I was coming up and learning how to develop is really about being a great listener, following your curiosity, and that curiosity extending to really understanding where other people are coming from. I still think that that is a skill that I get called in to coach people on more often than not, because learning how to have difficult conversations with people, learning how to be a really active and deep listener and giving people the space to feel like they can, in a non judgmental way, really be heard is something that I think is really critical to being able to form long lasting and trusting relationships with people. And what I've worked on over the years, you know, I think in male dominated environments, I probably over indexed as a younger person in my career on coming out of the gate, being really aggressive in my style an aggressive negotiator, you know, really not leaving a lot of room for getting to know me personally or bring my personal identity into work. I was definitely more armored and more protected. And I think over the years, with the help of some really great mentors, what I've done instead was worked on developing an authentic range of styles that I can apply to different situations. And I think being able to be authentic, but also understand and read the room and being able to adapt your style to meet other people halfway, I think is something that is still a skill that I use every single day on the job.
0: And I think that's so important because so many times people have one leadership style and they use it in all sorts of different situations. I mean, when I was in the army, I, had, I was a lead from the front leader throughout the majority of my FBI career. I or actually half, I was a lead from the front leader, but then when I wound up working cyber, I wound up becoming a servant leader because that is what worked with the group
1: of racehorses that I was leading. Absolutely. And so much of that has to do with your own EQ and really understanding what the situation calls for. Because you're right, if you're in a crisis situation, having a leader that's focused on building consensus and relationship building doesn't make the other people feel safe. So you have to be able to be decisive. You can't be afraid to lead from the front. But then in the situation that I'm in now, it's a little bit different because the people that I'm leading, yes, as an organization, but the people that are working with me day to day directly are incredibly capable and seasoned leaders. And so what they need from me is not a lot of oversight and making sure that everything is tidy in their backyards. What they need from me is a partner that they can bounce things off of, who can provide air cover who can just help them think through something and offer a different perspective. So I think what's great about leadership is you get to continue to practice and evolve it. So it never gets boring.
0: But when you have this philosophy of lead with the heart, and you're taking it into a male dominated industry, and you've got a Marine (laughs) colonel on your staff, you know, that it takes a lot of courage to say, okay, hey, I think this is a great way for us to lead. We want to lead with a heart. I mean, how, how do you sell that to all
1: of these men? I love telling this story because although my biggest personal value when we did that exercise is courage, I think it's the meta value from which you can do all of these other things like love and feel and empathize and trust. It was the Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel insisting on the love value. He felt very strongly about that. And I loved that it came from him because if you're going to first take the step of building trust with people and want them to build trust with you back, I think a lot of, a lot of where leaders struggle and stumble a little bit when they're guiding teams, especially younger teams, is they think they have to have it right all the time instead of being more focused on getting it right, which is not me. I'm going to credit Brunei Brown for that, but I think that's really important. And so in this particular case, we don't say love, we say lead with heart because it's really important to be able to get out of your head and into your feelings and out of your head and into your body with some of these things. And that's a little bit of my mindfulness coaching coming in there, but truly no decisions even ones as simple as what you're gonna eat for lunch are made without emotion in it. So this is just us simply recognizing that we are not robots, we're human beings coming to work who want to have a greater purpose than washing cars. We wanna belong to something that has a greater purpose and meaning. And in order to do that, we have to provide that level of empathy and heart and compassion and love And desire to help grow people into their highest level potential. And I feel like that wasn't a sell in our leadership group. In our industry, it is a very different type of value. (laughs)
0: Right. But the reason why I have this show is because I want to provide wonderful advice and experiences for the women who are coming up and for the men who are coming up behind us. But what's interesting is you're telling us to be emotional, whereas how many generations of women before us were like, that was the last thing that I ever wanted to do was be emotional until the end of my career, until I evolved. Then I was fine with showing my emotion. Talk about that a little bit. I would
1: love to. And I think it's possible to say the way I describe myself as a leader and as a coach is that I'm a street fighter, which may sound a little bit at odds with what I'm talking about when it comes to heart. But I don't think so, because I think you can still have emotion, express emotion, and still be really gritty. I think that's really important. And I think, especially now, Gina, I think um, when you look at the impact of COVID on women in the workforce, women left this workforce as a result of COVID four times as much as as men have and a lot of the data that is coming out right now is saying that the impact of women feeling like they had to make choices between their own career ambitions and maybe things that were required from them of their families we could be set back six to ten years potentially and when you think about what can be the difference maker there on the part of the company, it's recognizing that your people are not back to normalcy. Even long after the masks come off people's faces, they are still going to be struggling with the impacts of homeschooling, elder care, a lot of other competing priorities, even things like loneliness. So I think if you're a leader who can't recognize the real struggles that your team is having, then you're never going to be able to actually provide for them in a way that they felt seen and heard and valued. And if you're serving a customer, you still have to have that same exact level of empathy to make your customer feel like you really, truly understand their needs. One thing that I've discovered in my coaching of both female and male leaders is that everyone feels the same struggle and their desire to be themselves and still be able to be successful. And sometimes that emotion getting suppressed is what causes some of the negative behaviors that happen at work. And that is why I think the core of being a really skilled leader, in addition to the things we talked about earlier about leading with heart, is to be able to express yourself in conversation when the stakes are high, when there's a potential risk there. So you have to actually make yourself slightly vulnerable In order to get to the core of a matter at work, the core of an interrelational issue that's happening between yourself and a coworker, being able to ask for that raise or ask for that promotion, being able to help guide somebody on your team who might be going down the wrong path, that's what really helps us push through those issues in the workplace is being deeply in touch with that sense of shared human emotion.
0: And when you believe that, and when you understand that it's not a weakness to show emotion or be expressive, that's when you really have evolved into leading authentically.
1: A hundred percent. And I think somebody like you, Gina, knows that more than most because you've seen the razor's edge of situations that have the absolute height of crisis and pressure and strength. And I'm sure in every single one of those situations, which doesn't help the situation is to further exacerbate those emotions. It's really about learning how to downregulate those situations as a leader, which really pushed me into the field of mindfulness, because we as humans have not really, as you know, evolved past our, our really ancient brains. And we're still programmed for threat management and threat avoidance. And when those threats come in the forms of feeling isolated or abandoned or not listened to or any of those other emotions that are a little bit more in the self-actualization part of the Maslow hierarchy, we really need to become experts at our own body's signals and emotional signals so that we don't put ourselves into a fight, flight, or freeze moment if really what we need to do is just take a breath bring our heart rate down, and then try again. And failing's not a bad thing. Failing is
0: how you grow. I'm a big believer in that.
1: I am too. And, and as you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book about women and risk-taking. And I love what you're saying about failure because fear of failure is one of the number one reasons why people don't take risks. And I agree. Failure is learning. And even just the the equation for risk management is really about possibility of failure times the the impact or cost of that failure. And I think that's a terrible way to look at opportunity taking or risk taking. And I feel like especially now more than ever, if women don't get comfortable working through some of that fear and that failure, then we really are going to stay six to 10 years behind where we thought to be much, much closer in the years before COVID. What made you want to write about risk taking? Honestly, I had a moment. It was a moment that that really sparked the desire to write the book, but it had been stewing for a while. I went, was at a, a conference in Las Vegas, and the data recently had been published at that time, I think maybe 18 months or two years ago, about how... Of the $2 billion that are available for funding in venture capital, female founders are only being given 2% of that. And if you're a woman of color, you're even lower in your percentage of share of that money. And when I asked this venture capitalist at dinner why he thought that was, he said what I'd heard a lot of times before from other men and also from the media when it comes to women, and that is, when it comes down to it, Megan, they just don't have the risk tolerance. And that just didn't wash with me because the women that I know, and again, Gina, I'm talking to the greatest example of this, are actually really risk tolerant. And I think sometimes if you're portrayed as being less risk tolerant, that starts to seep into your subconscious and then it really starts to impact your decision making accordingly. And so I really want to set the record straight there. I want to help women remove the perceived or real obstacles that are in our way of taking risks and taking bigger bold moves so that we can get what we want out of life. And what would you say those obstacles are? (laughs) Well, I'll skip over the ones that I think are pretty well researched, which are, you know, there are different treatments of men and women in the workplace. There is income disparity There are financial insecurities that women have that that men maybe don't experience in the same way. I think that data has been really researched. So this is trying to focus on empowering women to work through some of the fear obstacles. And all of us share the same sorts of fears as human beings. And there are multiple different models of these fears, but there are things like we fear abandonment, we fear rejection, we fear... Humiliation. We fear that we can't recover from a situation. And so I think part of the issue in decision making is really how well we can appropriately weigh out the risks and rewards because our brains are kind of geared toward a cognitive bias to focus on the negatives in a way that may make them overblown and may keep us in that freeze state where we're not ready to make a decision. And what I'm seeing in my coaching of women is that we're not exploring enough, the trade-offs of doing nothing or the trade-offs of staying the same, because oftentimes those trade-offs are really in one's potential, in one's happiness. And I think that exploring those and having a model to work through that, that feels good without being overthought is one of the best things that we can do to help each other think through some of these decisions.
0: So what advice do you give women to expand
1: their comfort zone when it comes to taking a risk? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. I I really think you have to prime yourself for risk taking. And I had already thought through some of these concepts through mindfulness, but I had an event that happened recently that I just put this all into perspective for me as in an idea sharing we recently took our leadership team to miramar to a squadron of marine corps pilots who fly helicopters 53s. and in the course of our idea sharing we got a briefing from the lieutenant colonel over the squadron and he mentioned this thing called the whole marine concept which means if you're not in mind body and spirit alignment then we believe that the risk for this person to fly is too high. And that made me just think about us who who may not be in a life or death situation like that, but when you look at even financially what a managed risk portfolio looks like, it means that if you're going to take a high risk in one area of your life, it makes sense to take less risks in some of the other areas of your life. So what I mean by that is, if you're about to make a really big financial move career move, but your relationship is in tatters, you have to kind of address some of those areas first to make sure that you're not just adding fuel to an already burning fire, that you're really thinking through what that profile of risk tolerance could be for you in that moment. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it does mean that you've really got to make sure that you're doing the self-care necessary to make sure that you're primed for risk-taking You've got to try and get some of the rest of your house in order if you're going to make a really bold move. You've got to be getting comfortable with the feeling of being uncomfortable, which I think can be a real challenge for all of us. But you can do these things in really small ways. You can speak up in meetings. You can ask questions of strangers. You can put yourself out there in communities that you normally wouldn't. So I think you can take baby steps if you're really, truly risk averse to at least start building that confidence that comes with taking a risk, and they work out. And then you take a risk, and sometimes they don't work out. But if you're practicing that resiliency and recovery, which a lot of a lot of that can be just having a really good standing mindfulness practice, then your bounce back is a lot quicker. Yes, I agree. And I'm a big believer
0: in Making mistakes and allowing my people to make mistakes. In fact, when I mean, when I look back on my FBI career, and I see where I have gratitude and and where I really think I made a difference was developing the leaders that were coming up behind me. And I would work into the whole curriculum of the pleasure of being part of my team where if, if one of my leaders wanted to do something and I knew based on my training and experience that it wasn't going to work out as long as no taxpayer dollars were spent and nobody was going to die as a result of it, I would let them go down that road because I think it is so important for people to make mistakes. You know, here we're all trying to avoid mistakes and avoid failure, but it's through those mistakes that you learn your biggest lessons.
1: I could not agree more. I love that you intentionally let people break China because if you, that is one of our values too, which is keep learning. And the only way you can keep learning is if you really make it a safe environment for people to fail and to make mistakes. Because like you just said, some of our biggest growth as leaders and our biggest learnings are definitely not from the times where it was smooth sailing. It's absolutely from the times that, that were tougher. And I think even just how failure is defined is, is a little bit problematic, but I love that you you took the opportunity to do that. I'm sure people felt really entrusted in when you did that.
0: Well, not only that, it just, I saw how they had more confidence as a result of it. And so and and I know when I came in, I got into law enforcement in the 80s. And that whole perfectionism thing, I felt I had to yeah. do everything perfect, because I'm in this male dominated environment. And if I did something wrong, then they were going to point me out, blah, 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 blah. But you know, when I look back at the last five, 10 years, where I've been, I mean, maybe even longer than that, you know, super confident in my decisions and, and not being risk adverse and not feeling like I had to be perfect. You know, when you get over that expectation of yourself, it's amazing how much room and how much, you know, freedom you have to go out and and take these risks and do great
1: things. Oh, absolutely. I love that you, you made that linkage to self-confidence because you're right. You really spend a lot of your time. And when I was in big four consulting, of course, you're paid for literally what you know. So to be able to say in a moment with a client, I don't know the answer to that, that was a big learning leap for me. And I think as I got older and had more experience, I just learned how valuable it was to talk about failures, which I I did just yesterday. I told the team yesterday, hey, listen, I'm still in a learning environment when it comes to understanding the construction of our sites. That's a new part of the business that I don't have a lengthy background in. I made a mistake on a site recently. It's going to cost our company some money. And I, I wish that I hadn't made that mistake, but now I won't make that mistake again. And so it's valuable for for me and it was valuable for them to hear the person leading the company to say, I make these mistakes too, as long as we're accountable for them, and we don't keep making the same mistakes, then we all can keep getting better. I think when you get
0: past the fear of making mistakes, it's going to expand your confidence into wanting to try new things. My role model, the late great Sheriff Sandra Hutchins used to say, Don't ever wait for anyone to tell you that you're ready.
1: You're a hundred percent right. And I think this is again, we see this in data all the time and it really needs to change, which is that that women apply for jobs when they feel 100% qualified. I, I look for in people learning agility. And what I mean by that is not that that person has a flawless track record in the particular area that I'm hiring in, but that that person has so much agility in their ability to learn new things. They have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. They don't succumb to this, I have to be perfect before public kind of mantra. And you can take a leader like that and apply them in multiple situations, much like your history, right? You know, you're put in situations with which you have no experience, but you do have a core set of skills and some confidence that are highly transferable into all different areas of business. And I think developing your ability to be kind of a beginner's mindset or have that learning agility as a skill, I think is arguably much more important than having great depth of expertise in any one given area, with a couple of exceptions of careers that do require that depth. But mostly, it's really having that openness to learning and that desire to learn, which is why I always tell people, follow your curiosity, not the dollars, and you will live a much happier career life.
0: What a great way to end this remarkable conversation. Megan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gina. Thank you for joining us on Lead Like a Lady. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache, Clarissa Balmaceda, featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.